Curious Cousins and the Improbable Treasure Hunt, Chapter 7, Uncovering the Mystery, in which some questions are answered. The whole way home, all the talk was of the parrot, the not-so-empty house, and the gossip surrounding why it was empty. When we get home, I think we should do some research on that house, said Cat. I'll bet there's information online about what really happened there. As they pushed through the kitchen door, Mrs. Cumberstone called, Now what have you lot been up to? I hope you didn't get soaked to the skin in all that rain. No, Mrs. Cumberstone, the cousins chorused. I'll need some help with dinner, said the round woman as she deftly plucked the apple John had grabbed out of his hand. Wash up first. Yes, Mrs. Cumberstone, they droned. Don't make me have to come and find you neither, she warned, waving a potato peeler at them. I want you cleaned up and right back down here, lickety-split. Danny and the boys scuttled out of the kitchen and ran up the stairs, shouting at each other as each tried to get to the bathroom first. Cat and Grace stayed behind in the kitchen, washing up at the sink. Mrs. Cumberstone, said Cat as she dried Grace's hands on a cheerful yellow kitchen towel. Do you know anything about the people who used to live in that empty house down the street? The smiling woman's face turned serious as she paused in her vegetable peeling to look directly at Cat. Stay away from that house, she admonished. Who knows what's going on in that old place? Sometimes there's lights on and there's nobody supposed to be living there. Do you know who used to live there, asked Grace? There ain't been no one living there for more than ten years, replied Mrs. Cumberstone. It were a real tragedy. He were a lawyer, was shot dead on the steps of the courthouse. The large woman's eyes turned to Cat. Your mom, she cried for days. I couldn't bear to see how upset poor Miss Trisha was. She shuddered slowly, shaking her head from side to side as she continued. Never heard what became of that beautiful girl and her baby. What baby? asked Danny as the cleaned up cousins came back into the kitchen. Mrs. Cumberstone handed Danny a vegetable peeler. Never you mind about babies. Peel them carrots, Danny. And boys, I want you to set the table and make sure there's enough juice in the jug to go round. Make another batch up if you must. Miss Gracie, you just sit yourself down over here. She stared Gracie into a chair. And I'll bring you some peas to shell. What would you like me to do? asked Cat. You can help me finish beating up the batter for the cake we'll be having for dessert. Mrs. Cumberstone handed Cat a glass bowl and a whisk. Grace popped a pea into her mouth. What kind of cake? Cat dipped her finger into the bowl and licked off the batter. Apple spice. Now I told you to beat it up, not eat it up, chided Mrs. Cumberstone. Cat stirred the batter as Mrs. Cumberstone laid apple slices along the bottom of a pan and then sprinkled brown sugar and cinnamon over the slices. Then she nodded to Cat, who poured the batter over the slices. Here, she said, handing Cat a spatula, make sure you scrape in every bit. When Cat was done, she slipped the cake into the oven to bake and joined her cousins who were seated ready to eat. Mrs. Cumberstone watched the cousins chatting and laughing together. She wasn't sure where all the questions about the house down the road were coming from, but she was sure it would lead nowhere good. When dinner was over and the five had helped clear the dishes, they headed up the stairs to Cat's and Gracie's room on the third floor. Cat pulled her laptop from the large bookshelf that took up the half a wall adjacent to the window. Then she sat at her mother's old desk. Grace and Danny settled on the big bed. The boys folded themselves down onto the rag rug like collapsible puppets. Kate tapped the keys lightly. John, do you remember the house number? 
John closed his eyes, managing the front door of the house. He drew in the air with his finger. 52, Cat typed in 52 Simeon Street into the search field. All that came back were links for the sale of the property. Then she added the words dead and lawyer to the search. There doesn't seem to be very much here, she said to the other, scrolling past dozens of links. She finally came to one she thought might be useful and clicked on it. It was an article about historical houses in the city. As Kat scrolled down the page, she found a picture of a house that looked very much like her own. Wait, here we go, she read from the article on her screen. After the tragic murder of Stephen Bitmore, his wife was institutionalized for a nervous breakdown. The home had sat empty for more than a decade. Held in trust for the Bitmore's daughter, lawyers for the estate put the property back on the market. A year later, there hasn't been a single offer. Rumours of the home being haunted may have left potential buyers wary. Is that it? asked John. Well, now we have a name, Cat typed Stephen Bitmore into the search field. You can't believe everything you read on the net. You have to find confirmation to know if what you've read is actually true, she continued as she scrolled through the results. There were dozens of hits. Cat clicked on one and read to the others, Lawyer shot dead after client found innocent. The twins scuttled forward on the floor. Grace and Danny were now sitting on the edge of the bed. In a hushed voice, Cat read, Just hours after Paddy Dempster was found not guilty in the murder of Jack Donovan, his lawyer, Stephen Bitmore, was shot dead on the steps of the courthouse. The shooter, Donovan's oldest son, is in custody. Dempster was arrested for the murder of Donovan. Donovan won a contract from the city for development of the parcel of land often referred to by the locals as the old railway yard. Dempster had expected to win the contract, and after running into Donovan at a restaurant in the entertainment district, a fight ensued. Witnesses Witnesses stated that Donovan struck first, picking up a steak knife from a table and rushing at Dempster, who had accused Donovan of bribing city officials to win the contract. Dempster pushed Donovan, who tumbled backwards, struck his head on the bar. He died two days later, never having regained consciousness. Dempster's lawyer, Stephen Pitmore, successfully argued self-defense and Dempster was acquitted. Less than two hours later, Donovan's oldest son, Patrick, gunned down Bitmore on the steps of the courthouse. You helped my father's murderer get away with it, he was heard shouting as police took him into custody. Bitmore leaves behind a wife and baby daughter. There was silence in the room for some time after Kat stopped reading. Then Danny exhaled. Wow! How tragic. Kat's words were almost a whisper as she closed the laptop. Kids! A shout came from the stairs. The five headed to the landing. Yes, Mrs. Cumberstone? I think you should hit the hay early tonight. Tomorrow is going to be a big day. A big day? John looked quizzically at Kat. Yes, we'll head off now, Kat replied to Mrs. Cumberstone. Then she turned to John. Have you forgotten? Tomorrow's the day Aunt Amelia's coming to take us all to the museum for our day of culture. Kat said the last word with a posh accent. Their Aunt Amelia insisted on monthly outings to, in her words, broaden the children's horizons. Oh no, Danny moaned. She's going to make me wear a dress. John and Paul both laughed. Do you even own a dress? John asked. I think Mother packed a couple, but I'm sure they're too small for me. Never mind, said Cat. I have a dress or two that I've outgrown that you're welcome to try on. No, whined Danny. 
The kids all laughed. Danny sounded as if she were suffering an awful toothache. It's just one day, Danny, reassured Grace. One day too many, grimaced Danny.